Welcome to part four of our series, Maximum Faith. Today, we're talking about going the distance versus what? Coming short, giving up, or quitting in the middle just because things got hard. Now, ultimate faith is always willing to pay the ultimate price. No man in history modeled this like Jesus Christ. When his feelings were pulling hard, his faith pulled back harder and triumphed. In watching Jesus go the distance for us, we see a real man with real reservations and concerns, but facing them all with honesty, humility, and the heart of a lion, fearless in God's purpose. On the other side of his maximum trust in the Father's commission and command is our salvation and transformation. That would have never happened if Jesus, in a moment, had not decided he would go the distance to his death. Now men filled with Christ's spirit will be willing to do the same, and on the other side of those decisions are changed lives and God's glory. Now before we begin part four of Maximum Faith, please take a moment to share this message right now. Now, let's get to today's message. Good morning, men. How are you doing? It's good to see you. Love to see the energy in the room. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Jason Park. I'm, uh, I'm standing in for Pastor Kenny as he's away uh, on vacation with his family. I, uh, I serve at the church. I've, I've taught here a variety of times, so I know a lot of you. It's a lot of familiar faces, some people I don't know. Um, you know, I got to see the video last week, and I was watching Pastor JP, the, the senior pastor of our church here, and, and he referred to himself as the, the junior varsity when, uh, when Pastor Kenny was, was gone. And I thought, well, if Pastor JP is the, the junior varsity, what does that make me? And, and I immediately went to the movie Waterboy, <laughs> and I thought of Bobby Boucher, and I thought, well... Whatever, I'm here and I, throw, I got a uniform on and I'm ready to play. So it's, it's really good to be here with, uh, with you guys. I, I love getting to be here with you and, and also with, the, uh, with the, uh, the Facebook Live family. Welcome to all the men that are watching out and everybody else is watching this morning. Uh, it's just such a great energy that's here. And we get to come here, we get to have good food, and now we get to chew on God's word. And how fortunate we are to get to chew on God's word to get to really just, just take in the energy that God's Word uh, provides for us. And it's easy to forget because it's so accessible anymore. There's people all over the world that don't even get to have God's Word and how lucky we are to get to have God's Word. So we are in part four of our study on maximum faith. Having maximum faith and what it means to have maximum faith. Our first week of study, we talked about there's more. There's, you have access to more when we have maximum faith. Um, the, next, the next part, we talk about how, how big God is when we have maximum faith. When our faith is big, God gets bigger. And then last week you had Pastor JP, and he was talking about Abraham. And I think the title of his study is, is You Can't Lose. In this week's study, we're talking about this concept of finishing. Right? The title of this is Going the Distance, Finishing. We start things in our life with the idea that we will finish that's why we start those things. You have started things in your life that were difficult, knowing that they would take you a long time, but you started them because you knew you were going to finish. You had this vision in your head of what it would look like. Um, I uh, will give you various illustrations over the course of the next little bit, and one of those is I spent about 10 years of my life training and racing in Ironman distance races. 
I know you're looking at me, and, and this body does not scream endurance sports. God designed me for short bursts of about 18 seconds between the ball being hiked, right? But I really wanted to do an Ironman. An Ironman, if you don't know, it's a 2.4-mile swim. It's a 112-mile bike ride and a 26.2-mile run. And yes, it's in the same day. Seems a little unreasonable to me, but they wouldn't let me change the rules. But I started to do an Ironman so that I would finish it. I wanted to finish it. The most famous place to be on the, on the day of the race of an Ironman is at the finish because you want to see people finish. And what's, what's the opposite of that, of not finishing, right? It's starting and stopping. It's getting stuck in the middle. It's losing sight of your goal. It's not finishing. Endurance athletes at the conclusion of a race, right, they try to complete the race in a certain period of time. Maybe they're competing against a friend. They're competing against themselves. But the worst thing that could ever happen to an endurance athlete is they not finish a race. They post the results at the end of the race. Some of you half marathoners, you marathoners, you've seen this before. They put three letters next to your name when you don't finish a race. It's D-N-F. They're the most nauseating letters on the planet to an endurance athlete. I would rather start and finish, and I don't care how long it takes me, but I, I, I don't want to see those three letters. The most difficult race I ever had was in 2007. I was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and at mile 86 on the bike ride, and I remember it vividly, somebody was laying low in the grassy knoll and placed two well-lamed shots in my IT band, and it exploded, and I pedaled another 26 miles on one leg, knowing, well, if I can't ride a bike right now, how well is this 26.2 miles going to go? Probably wasn't going to go all that well, but I told myself, I'm going to finish, or they're going to take me away in an ambulance. Either way, it's probably going to be a good story. <laughs> but we set in our mind to finish. One of my favorite passages in the Bible when we, when we consider finishing is in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, it starts with this, and if you don't have handouts on your page, more will be coming but it reads this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross. You think about that passage, this idea, this picture of running a race, and what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to, with perseverance, run the race that's marked out for me. And how do I do that? I fix my eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. I get to know Jesus. You say, what does it mean to fix your eyes upon Jesus? People say, where, where should I read the Bible? I'm starting to read the Bible. Flip to those first four books in the New Testament and just hang out there for the next 40 years. And when you're done getting to know Jesus, then move on. Hang out in the red for just a little while. If you don't, you should spend at least a portion of your year invested in the Gospels. Because when we get to know Jesus, we know what it's like to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And we're going to fix our eyes upon Jesus in this famous, this famous time in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was faced with one of those difficulties about what it was going to look like to finish. Was he going to go with his feelings? Because his feelings was telling him something different than his faith. And that's what happens to us all the time. We have this battle with what I'm feeling and with what I'm what I should be fathing. Yes, I just made up a word for those of you who look confused. My dad used to use that word. Faith is something that you have, but once you have it, you do it. It's a verb. 
After it's done being a noun, it's a verb. It's something that you do. It's an action. We fade. We should be fading. And Jesus is caught up in one of these moments where he's, he's stuck with his feelings. You know, the, the Trinity is such a complicated thing. And it's so very difficult to understand. But this is one of those moments where we get to see the God-man dealing with the challenges of being God and what it would mean for him to endure that. And that passage in Hebrews 12, 2 says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him to be going along with God's plan, God's mission in his life, God's commission in his life. So if you would, if you don't have it in front of you, you can flip to Matthew 26, 36 to 46. And we're going to talk about the example Jesus gave to us about finishing strong, about going the distance. So this is, this is the set, setting here is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is a, knows what's going to happen. He's about to be arrested and he's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. And he's He's enduring significant pain and what that looks like. Matthew 26, 36 reads, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me with this, for this hour, he said to Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away. Unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them. He went away once more. And he prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples. And he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. When I went through this, this passage, I was reminded, and it almost surprised me. You know, sometimes you'll go through the Bible, and you, you've read a section all these times, and you realize, man, I, I'd forgotten that that had happened. I'd forgotten that Jesus had done this three times. Three times he went back and had this conversation with God. Three times he went back and, and asked, may this cup be taken from me. You almost see a tone. It starts out with, with you know, if you can take this from me, Great, but if you can't, thy will be done. And then he, he kind of glides into, you know, since you're not going to take this cup from me, may thy will be done. I think that's a good reminder to us. Sometimes you got to go three times. And this wasn't, a short, this wasn't a short prayer. He fell down his face. He came back and he says, can't you keep watch for one hour? Jesus went and prayed, at least on that time, one hour. Three separate times he went. He's faced, he's battling with the, the faith in his, in his feelings. He's challenged with that. He's going to go have that conversation three times. I think that that's a great reminder. Sometimes you just got to keep going. As the scriptures tell us to go boldly before the throne of grace. Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily get the answer that he wants. 
He gets God's plan, and that's, that's the best, best plan, and he knows it. But we still got to go boldly, and sometimes it's more than just one time. We got to go multiple times like Jesus did. But Jesus could see his finish. It was not my will, thy will. That's his finish. He could visualize that. That scripture in Hebrews 12 says, Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was what his finish looked like, enduring the cross. It, it was God's plan. So your first fill-in on your sheet there, and if you don't have it, you'll, you'll get some more. The first fill-in here is got to see the finish. When it talks about finishing strong, talks about going the distance, you got to see the finish. you got to visualize the finish. The best advice that was ever given to me when I started training and racing in Ironman distance races, somebody told me was, before the race, go to the finish. Now, in Ironman distance races, they, they erect that, that finish well in advance. And the advice was, go to the finish and stare at it and burn it into your brain. You could even see the bleachers that were lined up along the finish. Visualize people sitting in the bleachers. Visualize where your family's going to be. Years ago, they actually allowed family members to cross the finish line with you. And it was about 100 yards before the finish. And I used to imagine what it's going to look like. And when my kids were little, they were so excited. And they were thinking, they're going to run 100 yards. I ran 140.6 miles, and it's basically going to be the same, right? <laughs> but I would visualize that. We have to be able to visualize what it looks like in that finish. We have to, to visualize you know, what it looks like in the end. In, uh, in Iron Man, there's a, a guy by the name of Mike Riley. He's called the voice of Iron Man. And when you cross the finish line, Mike Riley says, Jason Park, you are an Iron Man. And people from a mile away can hear it. And that's one of the things you visualize is your name being called out. Uh, in 2007, I had the opportunity to, to race in the Ironman distance, the Ironman championships in Hawaii. So before you get confused that you're thinking, how could I possibly be competing in the Ironman championship? I got a lottery spot, which means there's 10% normal humans and 90% not normal humans competing in the race. I finished in about 14 hours that day. When I finished, I took my picture with the winner. It was clear that he had finished, had a nap, a massage, a meal, then a nap, then a massage, and a meal, and he came and hang out with me at the end. But when I came to the finish line in Hawaii, I was the only one there. I was in about 1,400th place. But I was way ahead of a guy who was in 1,401st place. So I crossed through the finish line, and I hear he's a police officer of San Juan Capistrano. Jason Park, you are an Iron Man. That's what I'd been waiting for for 140.6 140 miles. We will hear a voice similar to that in heaven when we cross the finish line. By way of the Bible, we're taught that maybe that's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if it's something else, I'm sure it's going to be pretty good. Amen? Amen. We will hear something along those lines. And Jesus, Jesus saw his finish. Jesus saw what it, what it meant to live through his feelings and to live out his faith. The faith that he had in his father. His father's finished. I go back to this passage in Hebrews 12. And this is from the message version. This is one of those mantras that, that I will visit sometimes when I'm in the middle of a race and I'm stuck in this. So 
It reads like this. Is this, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheered us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in a place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, Go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It took me a long time to get comfortable with Eugene Peterson's The Message. And one of the complaints again, it says, you know, I just, it just doesn't feel that energetic. I, I think that this passage spells out the energy that we get when we're reminded of that great cloud of witnesses. What we're reminded when they were to run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. When I got to this section of the study and preparation, I'm thinking about visualizing the finish. My heart kind of went out to people, possibly people that are listening to me talk right now. You're thinking, you know, Jason, I can't think about the finish right now because I'm stuck in this complicated situation that I'm running right now. You're running this, this Iron Man of life, this 140.6 miles of life, and you can't see the finish because you're stuck. You're stuck at one of those mile markers. You've been hindered. You don't have, you don't have the energy to continue. And the one place that I landed when I, was, when I was putting this study together is thinking about the men, the men in this room that are stuck at a mile marker because you don't feel like you have what it takes to move on. You don't, you don't feel like you're moving along fast enough. Well, that's the reality. That's the battle that we face. That's the battle that we face when we start believing a lie, the lies of the devil, our ability to kind of be stuck in that mile. If you ever came up next to me during a race, and, you know, because of those long days, and you don't quite know how far into the race you are, somebody would say, hey, man, you know what mile marker we're on? And I would say, this one. And they said, no, no, I know, but, but this one, what, what mile are we on? I said, I'm on this one. No, but are we on? Hey, I'm on this one. You're welcome to hang out with me on this one. When we get to the next one, we'll be on that one. I'm on this one right now. People would say to me, how could you possibly get off your bike after 112 miles and run 26.2 miles? I said, I don't have to run 26.2 miles. I got to run one mile, one mile at a time. When, when Jesus says in the scripture, you worry about today. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. And tomorrow will take care of itself. And in that scripture, what is he saying? I'm going to take care of you. I think I've got this figured out. If you are stuck right where you're at right now. Because you don't feel like you're moving fast enough. You're at least moving. And you're probably moving faster than you think you're moving. Pastor JP has a phrase that he says a lot of time. If you move two steps forward and one step back, you're still one step in the right direction. But we got to keep moving. We got to keep charging. The, one of the most difficult races, I know that I use that phrase a lot because they were all the most difficult races. I was in Utah, St. George, Utah. It was about 300 degrees that day. It wasn't really humid, so that was good, right? It was a really humid day, and I had kind of paired up with another guy 
that we were kind of moving the same speed, experiencing the same difficulty, and we had come to about halfway point on the marathon, and he says, man, I got to sit down. And he says, uh, bro, I'm not going to make it. Now, Ironman does funny things to your uh, sarcasm in those moments, and I said, you're right. And he looked to me like, because he was looking for motivation when he said, bro, I'm not going to make it. I said, you're right. You're not. He says, no, bro, I feel like I'm moving slow. You're not moving slow. You're not moving. At this pace, you are guaranteed not to make it. And he, you know, said a bad word. There was some reference to Tony Robbins, right? <laughs> Maybe a life in, in motivational speaking was not for me. But I was trying to explain to him, dude, we got to keep moving. And so long as we are moving, we are moving infinitely faster than we, if we're not moving. We got, we got to charge forward. You know, when we get in those moments, it's because we've fallen into this, we're believing the lie. And how do you battle a lie? With the truth. And lies don't come from God. Lies don't come from Scripture. Lies come from somewhere else. Lies come from your enemy. You can't make it. You're not equipped to do this. God's not quite as big as you thought he was. Your plant's better. Those are all lies. We got to battle lies with the truth. The truth that sets us free. When, when Pastor Kenny says he starts his day and he says, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you think he only says that on good days? Do you think maybe he says that on days when this day is kind of not so great? But this day, regardless of what this day is, I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. That's him speaking the truth into him so he doesn't believe the lie. This day. Because you know what? This day isn't always a good day, right? Some of them are great. Some of them are the opposite. There's a, there's a hymnal that was written many years ago. And the title of that hymnal is uh, Rejoice in the Lord Always. It says the word rejoice about two million times in the song, depending on how long it goes. It reads like this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I would love to ask the person who wrote that song, was this a really good day that you wrote this song? Because maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was that person's way of saying, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. You have to speak truth in those moments when you are hearing the lie. When I memorize Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and when I say, therefore, since I'm surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily. I memorize that because I need to know. I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses that are here, the cloud of witnesses that are here, the cloud of witnesses like Pastor JP and Pastor Kenny. I have a race that's marked out for me. And I can do that by fixing my eyes upon Jesus. When I memorize Romans 5, 3 and, um, 3 and 4, that's reads, I always also rejoice in my suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. I got to remind myself of that occasionally. When I'm quoting that scripture, it's not because it's a happy day. But that's my way of, of battling the lie with the truth. We got we to speak that into us. Those, those words that we, we speak into us. So we got to see the finish. Next, as we're seeing the finish, that scripture in Hebrews 12 says there's a race marked out for us. We have to walk in God's plan. 
We have to walk in God's plan. See the finish and walk in God's plan. Us walking is us working. Us walking, us working, that's, that's us participating in God's plan. And how do we participate in God's plan? We are obedient to God's plan. Now, obedience, it isn't always convenient. Amen? In fact, it's rarely ever convenient when you have to be obedient. Jesus was obedient in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was the furthest thing from convenient. But we are called to be obedient. We are called to, to live out our faith. We're called to act in accordance with, with what Scripture says. When, when Jesus said that, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, we sometimes we forget the part before that. Right? It says, you will be my disciples when you keep my commands. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's us being obedient. That's us acknowledging the truth. In Hebrews 5, 7, and 9, this reference in the book of Hebrews from this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, son, though he was. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Learned obedience from what he suffered. I went back and I referenced that, that passage from Romans. And it says, therefore we also rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Hope's pretty cool, right? Amen? We all want hope? Okay, just, just me and this guy up here? Whatever. Hope is a good thing, but how do I get hope? I gotta have character. How do I get character? I gotta persevere. I gotta have perseverance. You don't you don't download 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 the perseverance app on your phone. You gotta earn perseverance. And how do you get perseverance? You gotta be obedient in suffering, like Jesus was. Jesus was was obedient to his suffering. So when I say walking God's plan, sometimes that can get a little complicated. Jesus was approached one time, and he says, well, tell me, what's the most important command in the Bible? What's the one thing I should do? Jesus says, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. You know what I love about that? He never gets to loving me. He doesn't say, love God, love people, and love yourself. Because we know how that works. When you love God and love people, you don't have to love yourself because you experience love. So that's a great measure of us being obedient, walking in God's plan. Ask yourself, take a little inventory. Are you loving God and loving people? Is that what's manifesting through your walk? Because that's what should be happening. That's the, that's the perfect measure of us being obedient. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane he took his own advice. He loved God and he loved people. He loved God and he loved people. We have to be obedient. We have to, we have to walk in God's plan. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Us working out our salvation, us walking, that's, that's us being obedient. Pastor JP has a phrase. He says, I work out what God works in. I work out what God worked in. Jesus' death on the cross, that was his work. 
work that was perfect, work that nobody else could do, work that's everlasting. Philippians 1, 6, 1, 6 says, uh, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That work that he began in us, that's his, his atonement, his, his atonement on the cross. Us working out, that's our contribution to the process. When you, when you look at this concept of walking, like I go back to my, the, my dad's advice that we have to fade. When you look at putting on the full armor of God, at each point when it describes the full armor of God, you've got to take up or put it on. You've got to take up and put it on. And what do you do after you put on the full armor of God? You take a stand. Right? You take a stand until you've done everything, not thought of everything. Until you've done everything, right, to stand. It's, it's doing, us, us cooperating. It's, it's participating in that process. We all want to hear those words at the finish line in heaven. Well done and good, full, good and faithful servant. Amen? But let's not take the phrase out of context. Jesus was telling a story. The person who heard those words was the person who was faithful. The parable of the talents. When the landowner leaves and he leaves something behind and he comes back and he says, let, let me see what you've done with what I've given you. And the people that took what they had been given and were, were fruitful with it, he said to them, you have been faithful with little. Well done, good and faithful servant. We have to participate. It's on us to be obedient. It's on us to walk in God's plan. And while we're walking in God's plan, we got to pay attention. Our next feeling is always be observant. So we got to see the finish, walk in God's plan, and always be observant. There's various ways of, of explaining the decision-making cycle. And it was broken down like this by, by a famous fighter pilot many years ago. And his name was uh, Colonel John Boyd. It's one of the best fighter pilots ever. And what he learned was the quicker he made observations of his opponent and the quicker he made decisions that he was able to outsmart his opponent because he was ahead of the ability of his opponent to make decisions. And John Boyd described the decision-making cycle like this. We make observations, we orient ourselves, we make decisions, and we act. Observe, orient decide, act. It's the process that we go through. And that first part of that, being observant, is the most important part, is paying attention. Jesus told his disciples, stay here and pay attention. How many times in the Bible are we told we have to be alert? Time and time again. Jesus even says, the flesh is, is weak, but the spirit is willing. The flesh, right? Our world, the devil, wants us to go to sleep, wants us to not pay attention, wants the enemy to be able to sneak up on us. That if we're not, we don't have the ability to be observant, we can't orient ourselves. We can't make a good decision, and we can't carry out that decision and what that looks like. We have, we have to be observant. And Jesus told his disciples two times when he went, to pray, went away to pray. First, he says, stay here and, and keep watch with me. And he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This importance of, of paying attention and being alert. I'm, I'm stuck on this uh, Netflix special right now on Vietnam. And it's, it's, really, it's really amazing all the things that I've learned. And, 
And they interview so many soldiers that were there. And the soldiers, there's this constant reference of the fatigue that was caused and the necessity that they always be paying attention. They were fighting an away game in a battlefield that they didn't know against people that knew everything about it. And they talked about when I walked, I had to pay attention. And when I sat, I had to pay attention. And when I ate, I had to pay attention. I couldn't sleep because I was afraid. If I slept, I wasn't paying attention. And one of the soldiers said this. I knew this. My enemy was hiding, lying in wait, waiting for me to stop paying attention so they could kill me. Our enemy is lying in wait, waiting for us to stop paying attention, waiting for the moment when we believe a lie so that he can kill us, so that we're no longer a threat. We've, we've got to pay attention. Mark 13, 32, 33 says, But about that day or, or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. We have to be alert. We have to be paying attention. We have to be looking for that anomaly. That's what Colonel Boyd said. I'm looking for that anomaly. I'm looking for that thing that's just not quite right from my enemy. The things that, that pop up. And he's paying attention, always being observant so he, it would result in, in good decisions. And in that same series, in Vietnam, it talked about the importance of, of paying alert, of being alert and, and paying attention. It was the importance of relying on your partners. This is your next fill-in here is to rely on your partners. Having people that you rely on. Having people that rely on you. When, when, you, when you meet at your tables, there's questions on your sheet, and one of the questions is, who do you rely on? And then, who relies on you? This next passage out of 1 Samuel is a reference to this relationship between David and Jonathan. Two people that could rely on each other. People that were willing to live out their lives honoring one another. 1 Samuel 20, 13 to 17 reads, If my father intends to kill you, I'll tell you and get you out of here in one piece. And God be with you as he has been with my father. If I make it through this alive, continue to be my covenant friend. If I die, keep the covenant friendship with my family forever. And when God finally rids the earth of David's enemies, stay loyal to Jonathan. Jonathan repeated his pledge of love and friendship for David. He loved David more than his own soul. We should be Davids with people in our life like Jonathan and vice versa. We, have, we should have relations in our life, people we can rely on. You know what I love the way they describe their friendship? It's a covenant friendship. A covenant friendship. In the Old Testament, when there was a covenant, what else did there have to be? Blood, but a sacrifice. You can't have a sacrifice without having and have a covenant. There has to be a sacrifice. It's kind of like your basic contract law, right? There has to be an offer. There has to be an acceptance. And there has to be consideration. In the world of covenant, in the world of that contract, that consideration is sacrifice. When we have a covenant relationship with somebody, it means we've sacrificed. 
you know, being a police officer for 24 years now, I have special relationships with those folks, some of which I met on the day that it happened. They were willing to sacrifice themselves for me in that moment. I naturally have a special relationship with them because they sacrificed for me in that moment. I, there's people that I, I didn't even know very well. When I see them now, we greet each other with a hug. It's like we've known each other our whole lives. Why? Because we sacrifice for one another. There should be people in your life you're sacrificing for. There should be people that are sacrificing for you. Perhaps you've learned in this environment the way that we get better by being men is in the company of other men. I know for me, for a long time, I figured I could just do this on my own, right? I learned how well that worked out for me. Amen? You're all in a special place right now, right? You did good work on that. But we have to rely on people. We have to have people that we rely on, people that we have those covenant relationships. And lastly, after we see the finish, we walk in God's plan. We always be observant and we rely on our partners. We have to be dependent on God. Be completely dependent on God. Psalm 62, 5 through 8 reads, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He repeats it. He says, He is my rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Once again, I would imagine some of these prayers coming from David, they had to be reminders to himself. He says two times that God is my rock. He says three times that God is a refuge. He has to remind himself and remind others that God is a rock and he's a refuge, somebody that, that, we, can, that we can depend on. And David here reminding himself, if, if God is a rock, everything else is it's, it's quicksand. It's uneven ground. It's a pit. As articulated in Psalm 40, it's a pit of mire and clay. And the opposite of that, that firm, solid ground where, where our feet can be planted firmly, that's us living a life in God. That's being focused on the race that we're in. So this, this, this idea of, of faith that we've, we've touched on multiple times through the last four weeks, when I think about faith, I, I have to come back to the reminders of faith and what the scripture says about faith. Hebrews 11:1 1 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of not things not seen. I have to remind myself of that. So I want that. I want assurance. I want evidence. What is evidence? Evidence is proof. It's assurance of what I hope for and evidence of things that we can't no not all of us have seen quite yet. But I want to hold on to that. And how do I get that? How do I get that? Where, where does that faith come from? If that's the definition of faith, Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. How do we hear the word of God? We come here today. We hear it read. We hear it on the radio. We hear ourselves read it. What happens when we hear it? We, we, we process it. We meditate on it. We, we, we memorize it. We hide it in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I've hid in my heart so I, not, I might not sin against you. 
But faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. And that acronym that we just spelled out in seeing the finish, walking in God's plan and being observant, relying our, on our, our partners and, and, and being dependent. That acronym is SWORD. SWORD. The only offensive weapon that we have in our full armor of God. The only offensive we have in the full armor of God. When we have salvation, we get a helmet of salvation. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we have that as a result of Jesus' death on the cross. When we tie on the belt of truth, that's us being obedient, being his disciples. When we put on the footwear of the gospel, that's us believing the good news that's outlined in the Bible. When we hold up the shield of faith from the flaming arrows, what is that? I'm holding up that faith and assurance. And then lastly, that word of God, that sword of the spirit, that offensive weapon. That's what Pastor Kenny does when he wakes up in the morning and he says, this is the day. He pulls out his sword. He makes sure it's ready because he's going to go to battle. Your last fill in here, this idea of, of maximum faith, maximum faith gets us to the distance. And what is going in the distance? What does that look like? It changes lives and it brings glory to God when we go to the distance. Jesus, when he had that picture, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, it saved, changed lives, right? And it brought glory to God. Amen? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder, Lord. We thank you for the example that you gave us of going the finish. We pray that we would, would fix our eyes upon you and run the race with, with perseverance that's been marked out for us, Lord. And I pray that we would do that diligently. We wake up every day and say that this is the day that the Lord has made it. We will rejoice in spite of what we are facing. We thank you. We love you. And all God's men said, amen. amen.